please turn to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 9. I will be reading Luke, chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. And now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to Jesus, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said, to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so. And had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate, and they were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve Baskets of broken pieces. Lord Jesus, may we here this morning, by your ongoing, saving, and sanctifying grace, not fail to eat the bread of heaven. May we not fail to be fed Your Word, digested by Your Spirit. And to that we are utterly dependent upon You in the way I teach, in the way we hear. To the glory of Jesus. Amen. Before there was anything there was God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then God created everything that is not God. And He did it for a purpose. That is, to glorify Himself. And that's why He created mankind in His image as the pinnacle of creation for His glory. And everything else He created, the universe and the galaxies and this little teeny obscure planet Earth with vegetation, barley, and animals and fish to eat. He created all of that for 
human beings so that they would know what it is to make bread and eat that warm, delicious, satisfying to their natural, physical appetite, bread. He did that for a deeper purpose so that He would have that analogy for humanity of their non-physical desperation and hunger and the ability to be satisfied in God alone. In other words, in our passage here this morning, the reason that wheat, barley, fish, steak exists is so that by the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago with over 5,000 people there, Jesus could do the miracle of creating food for all of them to eat to point them to a deeper reality. To point them that that is just a picture of your real hunger, need for sustenance, which is this miracle worker by the Sea of Galilee doing this. Let's go to the text. Before I start reading verse 10, just let me just kind of make a larger note in our journey through Luke. Luke has chosen not to confuse his narrative in the way he wants to structure it with a, a couple different journeys that Jesus had made to Judea down to Jerusalem. Back up to Galilee. He hasn't mentioned any of that. He's, he's structuring his narrative of what he's doing in Galilee. So, so for instance, when we started in Luke, and the angel's appearance, and the birth of John, and then the birth of Jesus, and then Jesus is 12 years old, and in the temple we see that, and then boom, chapter 4, Jesus comes on the scene in his public ministry. And so from chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and half of 9, that we've seen so far, all of that ministry of Jesus is up north in the region of Galilee, not in Judea, not in Jerusalem. Now, this incident here that we're reading about, of the feeding of the 5,000, not just with Luke, but with the other three Gospels, is the mark of the conclusion of Jesus' Galilean ministry. He's done. After this, he, he will move up a little bit to up even further north to, to Tyre and Sidon and then over to Caesarea Philippi and then on the other side of the Jordan then he will make his way down into Judea and ultimately to Jerusalem and the cross. So we're at that transition point here. Now, let's pick up verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. Okay, remember, what's, what are you talking about? Jesus had sent the twelve, two by two, to go out into all the villages of the Galilean region of the Jews and to preach this gospel of the kingdom and to heal and to cast out demons. And I don't know how many weeks they've been at it. Now they meet up 
And just saying, they get together, and Jesus says, tell me what's happened. Well, let me tell you what happened at Hamath. We walked in, and you, know, and you can go on and on. So they're with Jesus. They've been out in this ministry for weeks without Him. They're back. They're probably tired, but they're excited, telling Jesus what God was doing miraculously through them. And then the second part of verse 10. And Jesus then took them and he withdrew. Okay, let's get away. He withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, I want to turn to Mark for a minute because Mark, he, he gives us a little bit more details of, of why he's doing that. In chapter 6 of Mark, starting with verse 30, we read The apostles returned to Jesus and told him, him all that they had done and taught in this ministry. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Now, Mark says, For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat, to a desolate place by themselves. And so, he gives us, there's this picture. I don't know if it's going all day, if it's two days or what, but what's going on? They're, Jesus, this has happened, this has happened, and then they're interrupted again. Please heal my son. And again, and again, and the disciples can't even get a snack. And they're tired. They're worn out. And so Jesus says, let's go. Get away. Rest. Get a bite to eat. So they got in the boat. They're by the Sea of Galilee. They're going to go over to the northern part, probably from where they're at, about a four-mile boat ride, to where the Jordan River up top of the Sea of Galilee feeds in. And people see them leaving. Verse 11 says that the crowds they got wind of, they're getting in a boat and they're kind of going up north and they followed them. Now, so the boat rides about four miles, but probably from where this happened, where they saw them leave, it's about an eight-mile walk. They can see them going up north. Uh, picture, okay, we, we live here, right? So picture Redondo Beach Pier, the, the south side of it. You're over there by Torrance Beach. And you know that he's probably going to land in El Segundo. And they start moving up the beach and going. It's going to take hours. And as you go, people from Hamosa and Manhattan, where are you going? And it, the crowd gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so they end up in El Segundo or at the top by the Sea of Galilee. And by that time, there are 5,000 men. Let me just make this once. Matthew says men besides women and children. There may be 10,000 or 15,000 people by this time. And so now Jesus and the twelve and whoever else is with them dock the boat. And you, I just think the twelve, sinful, tired, like I can relate, must have been saying, Oh no, please, can't we get a break? They're exhausted. Jesus gets tired. 
But the text says, He welcomed them. Verse 11. When the crowds learned it, they followed Him, and He welcomed them, and spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and cured those who had need of healing. So Jesus welcomes them. There are well over 5,000 people, and He's preaching the kingdom of God. Just like He has always been doing. He's unfolding Old Testament biblical text. He's telling stories called parables. His, his logic, is, as always, is pure, and His reason is powerful. And that's what He's doing. And ministry time. Laying hands on people, saying, be healed over here. Be healed. They're being healed. This is the, why so many came. Jesus is up there. They're dropping everything they're doing because they got sick, loved ones, etc. There is big excitement in the ministry of Jesus in Galilee. And as they're rushing up there, no one's thinking, oh, let's go back home and make sandwiches. <laughs> They're just rushing to... He's going to be up there. Some only had to walk, run maybe a mile, walk fast a mile, whatever. Two, three miles. And they're up there and no one's got food. And so after hours of ministry, it's getting later and later. Because of looking at the text of the four Gospels closely, we're pretty sure it's probably April. Sun sets at that part of the world, about 6 p.m. So we're probably 4.30 in the afternoon and pick up in verse 12. And now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to Him, Jesus, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we're here in this desolate place. <laughs> that was a good laugh. Maybe their recent ministry experience where Jesus gave them His power, His authority, their preaching, maybe all that stuff went to their head. Because now they figure, okay, Jesus, just listen to us. We, we got this all worked out. This is what you need to do. It's just strange. I mean, as long as they have been with Him, somehow they did not assume that Jesus would know how to take care of the situation. They have seen Him take care of situations and do healings and miracles for well over a year and a half. But this day again, it's much like us. Some of us have been Christians for more than five years. Some more than 20, 30. And you know how the Lord has come through and sustained you. And this week, something will come up. How am I going to get that bill met? What about that relationship problem? <laughs> and we fret as if I just have no clue that He will guide with wisdom and miracle, make things work out if I place my trust in Him. Now notice in the text, Jesus did not say, hey guys, watch what I'm going to do. 
He looked at them and He said, You feed them. Is He nuts? He he is doing that to test them. It's ridiculous. So for 5,000 people here, maybe 10, maybe 15, wives and kids. Okay, if you got 15, just, just go to a jam-packed Laker game at Staples Center. Okay, got it? Sit in the middle of the floor now. Jesus says to the 12, feed them all! And, and, and with what? How's that going to happen? Verse, start with verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And so, he's purposely tested. See, if you just put it in the very minute, let's just say there's only 5,000 people which there clearly are more. Minimum, minimum, just to get, that's way too minimum, but way too minimum amount of food for everybody in our day and age, they're going to have to have at least $20,000. But probably forty dollars to $60,000 of our kind of a currency to feed basic $3.5, $4 meal to everybody. If they had the money! Really? You're going to, where are they going to get it? How are they going to carry it? How is it all going to get here? Okay, this, this is a ridiculous request. John's account of this in the Gospel of John, he brings out how the apostles took Jesus' instructions a little bit more. Chapter 6, verse 7 and 9 of John, we read, Philip, in particular, answered Jesus, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. But one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? But Jesus said, You feed got to be a lesson for them. He's, he knows pretty soon he's going to be leaving them. There's something about when we're called to minister to others in such a way that we know it's far beyond our ability. That brings us to desperation and thus makes us now ready to minister according to Jesus's commands. Look at verses 14 to 17. He says to them, guys, okay, have the people sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And they had them all sit down. And then Jesus, taking the five loaves In the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Probably the standard Jewish blessing of the day. And then he broke them 
broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate. And they were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. I don't know, maybe for each of them. So there they are. They're in this desolate place. This clearly is a is a parallel. It's pointing to what happened with Moses in the wilderness and the children of Israel. Remember, God fed them supernaturally. He fed them with the manna of heaven. All these hundreds of thousands of people in all these tribes They'd wake up in the morning, they had instructions what to do, don't carry it over the next day, but there would be the manna, this stuff to make their bread and to sustain themselves out in the middle of the desert, the wilderness. Literally in our text, that's what the word is, desolate. It's the word desert place. Moses, and what happened historically with him, like so much in the Old Testament, was a type. I mean, it actually happened historically, and that historical event is a type. It's a picture of the, of the truer, deeper, central reality of Christ Himself. As Moses said, there's a prophet whom God will raise up from among you like me. He's not Moses, but he's a type. He says, have them sit down in groups. If you understand the Old Testament, that whole tribe of Judah over here, break up the tribes into this many peoples, tribes, they're all broken into groups. Jesus breaks them up in groups. Fifty, maybe some a hundred, but groups of people. Picturing this is the fulfillment of what you saw, that great miracle in the wilderness. Something greater is here. Now, It seems to me that Jesus could have very simply just had manna come down from heaven and fed him. Couldn't he? It seems to me that he could have miraculously said, everyone close your eyes, open your hands, and then everyone's got a loaf of bread and a cup of fish in their hands. But he didn't do it that way. They would have been, I think, more odd. They had a loaf of bread in everyone's hand, just appeared. But he purposes to use the twelve as a means of feeding the people. Over 5,000 people. Two loaves of bread. Two fish. That is unnatural. That is impossible with man. This was an extraordinary public 
miracle. I'm going to pause for a moment and put a big parenthesis in here and talk about something in church history that still affects, it's all around the day, called theological liberalism. It's a branch of understanding and theologians and biblical scholars, particularly coming out of the 1800s into the 20th century, permeating uh, graduate schools of theology and filtering those people who would be swayed by them into leadership within churches. Now, have you ever wondered, because this certainly is true, how, if you just go throughout this country, there are so many church buildings with people that go to those churches and with paid professional ministers who do not believe in the virgin birth. They do not believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. They do not believe that Jesus was literally, physically, historically raised from the dead. They do not believe that Jesus fed 5,000 or more people with five loaves and two fish. So, as we look at this text that is presented to us in Scripture, we have three choices. One is that it's true. Jesus, literally, real human beings, by the Sea of Galilee, all ate from His creation of food from five loaves and two fish. That's one, that's one option. Second option is that the apostles, particularly, like John, when he records it, he was there. Matthew, when he records it, he was there. That they are lying. The third choice is, you just, no, no, the point isn't that it actually happened, you just misinterpreted it. Okay, got that one there? That's, that's how these theological liberals survive. That's the kind of stuff they teach. The point of the story was, see, back then, myth was really big. And you told stories in myth. Ask my daughter. She reads a lot of the Greek myths. You tell stories. Homer told stories that we know that are impossible. And through them, you're communicating truths. That's at the core of theological liberalism. That miracles, here's the premise, don't happen. Period. I remember when I was in seminary, I wrote a paper on the theologian Rudolf Boltmann, who was a 20th century uh, theologian. And at the core of his whole theological program, it was called demythologization. It was a whole... Thing of, I mean, this is what he does for a living. He's a theologian. It's how he makes his money in his whole. Okay, we know. You start here. <laughs> Radio in his day was going on. TV's coming in his old. When he's when he's a little bit elderly, he died in 1960s, I think, if not 71. But 
you know, in this modern age with such technology, in the age of medicines, you know, compared to all of human history, certainly the modern man doesn't believe in miracles or Jesus creating out of nothing bread and fish. So, how do you deal with the Bible? Well, it is to demythologize. So much of what God are true about how to live better is presented in mythological stories. Like Jesus feeding 5,000. Like the resurrection of Jesus. This is a deeper meaning. So we've got to peel away. Don't take that stuff historically because we know that in history, that kind of stuff is impossible. It doesn't happen. Okay, So we peel that away. And you get to the core, the kernel of the truth. That's what Boltman and so many were about. Okay, so let me give you a sermon then. So you, you We know that. This glorious thing, you know what the real miracle was? It's not that Jesus created that. That was just myth to show this truth that they all ate. They didn't all have food. The real miracle was an ethical miracle. Jesus got everybody to share their lunch or their dinner with everybody else. And so they all ate. But what actually happened is my question. I mean, is that what Luke or John or Matthew or Mark intend to communicate? I, I think no. I think what actually happened is verses 16 and 17. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate. And they were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets full of broken pieces. So, this way I think happened. Jesus took the boy's lunch. He did say a blessing over it. He broke it and kept on giving. That's what the Greek essentially says. It's an imperfect tense. And he just gave. He was he kept on giving. Who knows how long this took to serve them all. So here you go, Peter. You go you get that group over here. Basket, basket, basket. And they come back, fill up the basket again. And he kept doing it. The only thing I know, it's happening. In his palm of his hands, where, when it, I don't, somehow, Jesus is mass-producing fish and bread. And probably, because it's Jesus, it's nice and warm. Delicious bread. He's creating food. I know he started with that. But, you know, scientifically, the molecules and the bread that was there to start with in the fish, it does not feed 5,000 people. Feel the flow of Luke. 
This baby born of Mary confounded the scholars in the temple at age 12. He has shown that this man is the Lord of nature. He spoke with his human vocal cords to the storm. And it obeyed. He has shown he is the Lord, not only of nature, but of the supernature, supernatural, beyond physical nature. He would command with a word, demons, and they would obey Him. He has shown He is the Lord of life itself when He raised that young man from the, from the town of Nain from the dead and Jairus' daughter from the dead. And now here, He shows He is the Lord of creation itself. Standing by the Sea of God. Somehow in the palm of his hands, or however this is happening, filling up the baskets. Keep coming back, guys. And I want you to feed them. He's creating. No wonder later on, a few decades later, his apostle, Paul, will write of this Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. For by Him, all things were created. In heaven... And on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Christ and for Christ. And He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. So, got to get it. On the north shore of Galilee, in April, probably the year 32 or 33 A.D., this real human being who is more than that, as we just read in Colossians, he's the Creator who became Human. This man who grew up in Nazareth and under his stepdad Joseph learned the trade of carpentry. Who had to relieve himself, had to partake of food, had to sleep. This historical man was creating food to feed 5,000 hungry people at minimum. And Jesus goes on to say, not only am I the creator of bread and manna, but they are not really the point. They are pictures of me. 
Why I say that is because we can take the liberty to go outside of Luke. Luke wasn't there. But the Apostle John was there. And John has been given a totally different purpose than the other three gospel writers by God. Where John's gospel, and why it's so different than the synoptic gospels, the other three, is that he is giving a lot of other sayings and more in depth of Jesus and what happened. And after this account, the next day after he left, went across the lake a few miles again, pulled up and they followed him. So referring to this feeding of the 5,000, we read this in John chapter 6, starting with verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Stop. We are to take care of one another in our families, in our churches, in our societies. We are to care about the down and outers in poverty and someone not having enough food. Jesus models it. He modeled it here. They're hungry. He felt that. And He met their need. But He feels the sadness for those who don't get it. And what that need getting met really points to. Your truer need that He wants to meet. See, the way this conversation started is, the reason you follow me over here because you got your belly fed yesterday. Kind of cool, huh? Jesus is a need meter. And He says, here's the message, guys. I'm the bread of life. This is going to be the incident where many of His disciples started to leave Him. As we just read right here. I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Please listen, every one of us. Adult, 11-year-old, 18-year-old, don't assume the bread of life that your parents have brought you up in. He says, 
Yeah, you've eaten. It doesn't necessarily mean you yet believe. Believe. All that the Father has given to me, they will come to me. And whoever, whoever, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose none of them the Father has given me. But I'll raise him or it or her up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. He goes on to say, I am the bread of life. Your fathers, they ate the manna in the wilderness. Yes. And it was miraculous. And so was yesterday when I fed you. But your fathers in the wilderness, after eating the manna, they're all dead now. This is the bread Himself. This is the bread It comes down from heaven so that one may eat and never die. Jesus performs this extraordinary miracle by the Sea of Galilee to His fellow Galilean Jews. He's one of them. He's doing it right before He's going to leave them. And He's going to make His journey to Jerusalem. He does it in order to open up a big window that shines not on, well, look at that, He can meet all of our felt needs, to shine the window on His glory so that they may taste their real, desperate need for a Savior, for eternal life, that they would partake of Him, that they would imbibe Him, that they would embrace Him, that as a starving man or woman would desperately come to the bread of life. He doesn't perform the miracle so that they'll be just so odd again. It, yeah, Jesus is useful. Hmm, got our bellies fed. He does it so that they would recognize their need for the true bread of life. This message to these five, ten, fifteen thousand people on that day are to every one of us here in this room today, is that God the Son has come.
like manna from heaven, He's come into the world through Mary. Not to make sure that your belly gets fed. Or that you have the house you always dreamed about. Or that you live 92 years. He came to be your bread. Your sustenance. Your food. Your source of true living. He came for you to constantly understand your dependence on Him daily. Our souls get malnourished. If you have not come yet to Jesus Christ personally, He says, Come. He promises. If you come and believe that I am who I am and I have done on the cross what I have done, He says, I will never reject you, cast you out. And for all of us who have come, He is saying, Feed your soul by coming to me. By communing with the Father. By the Spirit. In my name because of my work. This is eternal life. Have you... Come to know Him. To know personally the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom He sent. He has given to you the bread. The Father handed to us the loaf which is His eternal Son slaughtered on a cross. And He's handed to us His eternal Logos, His eternal Word, His Son in differing forms. Feed upon the Word of God. After this miracle, I think this is really now. This is huge. There's 15,000 people here. His Galilean people whom He loves, whom He grew up with, whom He's been ministering to now publicly for a couple years. This is now time to leave you and starting to go to Jerusalem and it is immediately right after that in Luke's narrative where Jesus for the first time will begin to make it clear to the intimate twelve guys 
don't be blabbing this everywhere because, guys, look, I'm going to Jerusalem to be butchered, to suffer, and to be killed, and to rise on the third day. Or, back to Jesus in John, after the feeding of 5,000, He said it this way, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Peter, Andrew, I'm going to Jerusalem to be killed. And to rise again. He is the bread of life. He is the only way to eternal life. He is the only way that when that day comes three million years after your death or eight days after your death, when that day of judgment comes, He is the only way to have had all of your sins wiped away. He is the bread of life. And the life I give for the world is my flesh. Peter, I'm going to Jerusalem. Jesus is the miraculous bread. To come and to believe in Him is miraculous. The essence of the Christian life is not merely having come, it is the evidence of coming and eating and relying on as we are utterly dependent upon nutrients or we will die. That's the sense that ought to be going on in every new life in Christ spiritually. And so let's go on and partake. If this is true, 
before you take care of your baby and your husband and your wife and make money and 10,000 other things. This prioritizes everything. It's first. We're desperate. We should hate waking up this week and feeling no hunger for the bread of life. Oh, and let me say, when you do, this is part of the Christian life, then you fight. You draw near to Him, as the promises. He, by His Spirit, will draw near to you. And you partake of the means of grace, like prayer, thanksgiving, petition. The means of grace. You have a Bible. You could actually read it or have someone read it to you. You can memorize it and quote it. The means of grace of the Holy Communion we partake of once a month. The means of grace of preaching that you're getting now. The means of grace of Christian fellowship. The means of grace where the body of Christ is called to speak to one another in psalms, hymns. Spiritual song. We're called to reprove and rebuke. It's the means of grace. Twelve, feed these people. I'm the bread of life. He's been saying ever since. Church, feed each other the Word. Come. Lord Jesus, not merely today, but in very measurable and significant ways, grow all of us in the sense of constant hunger and satisfaction and hunger and satisfaction. Desperateness that causes us not to run to TV or, or sports or denial or pain or, or, or mere depression. But may all of those cause us by Your grace to run in prayer in the Word desperation upon You. And may we find more and more that as the twelve, you use us to carry baskets of eternal life to others.